Thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Well, while we're getting audio set and ready, um, what I would like us to do, we're going to be finishing up James. Hopefully you've been enjoying James as you walk through it. Amen. And so what we're doing now, today we're talking about wisdom in relationships. Wisdom in relationships. And so the last time I was here, I look back at the last time. Can we turn that down just a little bit more? Ooh, thank you. Um, the last time I was here, uh, the title of the message was Following Model Servants. And we were um, talking about what the theme of, of relationships and of unity. And I'm starting to get concerned because I'm back again preaching on wisdom and relationships. And so it's either me or it's you or it's both of us, right? So, so we something that God wants to be able to get a, across from us to be able to get right about relationships. And so I'm going to walk us through. We're going to be in James chapter 3, but I have, open your Bibles. Uh, and just so you know, I'm reading from the uh, CSB 2020. Um, so it may look a little different than what you're used to. But what I want us to do is, as, we, as you have James open, we're going to also go into a couple of the scriptures. Because I need to set a little bit of a foundation of where we're going to go before we come back to James. And the first thing is that when we're talking about relationships, we, we're singing how great we're standing and we're, we're singing how great God is. And if I think if we could get us to agree on one thing, it would be about how great God is. Amen. So we can all come together and agree on that. And as a believer in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we usually don't have a problem with loving God. Either because of who he is or what he's done for us, or the wonderful combination of the two. But then comes the other challenge that we have to deal with, and that is dealing with other people other than God, and being in relationship with other people other than God. And so the research organization Barna did a survey in 2016 and found out that approximately 10% of believers admitted to loving God, but not the church. Loving God, but not the church. And not the institution, right? But, but you know, God's church is what? Not this building, right? But it is his people. The mix was like 40% of the, of the 10%, for about 40% were men, 60% were women, which in most churches is the breakdown anyway, so that's normal. Um, we can't say that it was politically motivated because they did a, the poll and about 50% were Democrat, 50% were Republican. So we got a, a, a mix there. But equally, the believers were, and these were the ones who were willing to admit in a survey that they loved God, but not the church. So the argument is, and, and many people, you stick around Christianity long enough, we believe that number's a whole lot higher. The divorce rate inside the church is just the same as outside. That's relationships. And so the thought is, is that number of people who really, truly love God, but don't love the body of Christ is a whole lot higher than 10%. So what does that mean? It means that we have a problem that we have to be able to deal with. It would be okay if God was like, cool, just love me. That's all good. That's all you need. But that's not where, what he does, does he? 
He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so therefore, you and I have the responsibility of loving God and loving others. And I don't know if I did it the last time I was here, but if not, you get the second dose of it. It's just a picture of the cross. And the vertical is your relationship with God. The horizontal is your relationship with other people. And you need to be able to put the two of those together as an example of what we're supposed to do. And I understand you're still in the process of getting a new pastor. And so, you know, there's probably other things that you guys have a whole list that you're, of things you're waiting to do when the new pastor comes on board. Right? Okay, maybe, maybe not. Well, that's good if you don't have a list. But the thought is, is this is one of the things that should not wait. That if you have a problem loving other people, loving fellow believers here at Calvary, the challenge is start working on that. You can start to reconcile that today. You do not have to wait on waiting for a new pastor to be assigned to grab hands around the room and sing Kumbaya. You can start doing it today. And I see some faces. If you don't believe me, we have to go to Scripture. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, and he says, it's, in my Bible it's in red. Jesus is talking, he says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Okay, just in case you still might want to find a way out of it, let's go to one more scripture. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Read as follows. If someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now, if you find yourself here today, we're not going to do an altar call just yet. It's, we want to go, go through the book of James. We want to go through the chapters uh, 3 and the first part of 4. But just know you're not alone. We start off by loving God and building a relationship with him. And sometimes we overlook the necessity to have good, strong relationships with fellow believers, let alone with people who we call our enemies. But unfortunately, it's sometimes built into American Christianity. There, there are Christian theologians, if you go and do the research, who have, we, we exalt them for the wonderful theology that they write and they talk about God and talk about the Trinity, yet when we look at how they lived, they owned slaves. And so it's, yes, yes, I love God, Lord, I love you, but other people, eh, not so much. And we have to be able to be better balanced believers because the scriptures I just read were not suggestions. They were not something that were guidelines. 
They were commandments that Jesus himself has given us of how we are to live our lives as believers on this earth representing the King Jesus. Amen? This our responsibility. And so now as we look of how we're going to move forward, we have to understand, therefore, that, and that this is the main point for today, is that our human relationships are critical to our relationship with God. Our human relationships are critical to our relationship with God. And so now let's go into the text for today. Now that we have a little bit of background, we're going to go into James chapter 3. And I will be reading, beginning at verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 12. Word of the Lord reads, For who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is the source not your pleasures that you wage war? Uh, your pleasures that wage war in your body's parts. You, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, so that you may spend what you request on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scriptures say to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? It's a lot, isn't it? There's a lot here to really, truly take some time and unpack. 
and I'm, I'm, for the sake of time, I'm pretty sure you've gotten a good background so far with all the theologians and speakers before me talking about what was going on in James. And so I really want to get back down to the practical thing of is that what James is talking about here is how we do relationships. And, and practically what we have to do is see is, is once again, that our love for God is, is there. It's right there. It's on point. We love him, but we have to be able to follow his commandment to love others, which is the real test. Because you see, God forgives me. He's there with me. He's always watching over me. He knows stuff that I did that nobody else knows. And yet he still doesn't, doesn't shun me. He doesn't put me away. He still embraces me. He still, still calls me his child. He still allows me to, to serve him and to be a part of his kingdom. And so just all of the different things about my relationship with the Lord, yes, I love him. But my real test is when he commands me to love those who are made in his image. And that means everyone. And so as we go back here and walk through the, the verses that I just read, the first one really kind of talks about in, in James uh, 13 through 16, James is laying out how the, the early believers and us today, how we treat one another. And the first, when you look here, is really the first thing we do is, is they were comparing each other to one another. James asked the question, who among you is wise and understanding? And so what we're talking about being wise and understanding, it, it was wisdom coming down from God. Now, who of you has the knowledge of God? Who considers themselves wise? But really, when you stop and think about it, that is a comparison question. Because in order for me to be considered wise, I have to be judged against someone else. And so once again, if, if there are people and you look at the different relationships that you have and Bible knowledge and all these different things, if we took a Bible trivia test and some other things and tested on theology, there would be some that would, would pass the test and score a lot higher than others. And we may say, okay, those are the ones who are considered wise. It's done in light of other people. I'll give you an example. Um, when I'm allowed to play, when my job and ministry and wife allow me to take some time and play, I, I'm, I love to go on a computer and I like to race uh, Formula One and some other things. So that's, that's what I like to do. If we make it home safely today, I might do some more. You know, too many of you do that on, the, on 15 and on 10. You guys shouldn't be doing that. So I like to race. Well, I started off racing against the computer. And you start off racing against the computer, and you, you can do pretty well. I was like, all right, I'm winning races. I'm doing good. I'm coming down, says, yeah, I want to race. And my wife's like, oh, okay, dear. That's good. You did that. Then I have other friends who race online as well. So I started doing really good against them. Then I tried to step up to those who call, consider themselves sim racers, like real ones who are like on a computer 80 hours a week. And I started to find out that maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. But once again, I was comparing myself. I thought I was good when I was up against some others or against the computer where I could control how hard the game is. But once I got under against some real competition, I found out that, well, maybe my comparison wasn't exactly correct. When we compare ourselves, 
we should only be comparing ourselves against Jesus Christ. Only comparing ourselves against Christ. Because once you start comparing yourself to Christ, how many of us then can stand up here or raise our arms in this room and say we're wise when we're compared to Christ? How many can compare ourselves and say we're loving when it's compared to Christ? Any example, any category you think of, when we talk about and compare ourselves to Christ, we fall short. So when, so, but the problem here is that the reason why the, the people, the believers that James is writing to, and maybe some of us today, is that we like to pick on some people we know we can beat. So we're not going to go up against Jesus, but we know if I compare myself to some people around me, now all of a sudden I can look good compared to them. Which was, which was the case where they were comparing themselves to others for the sake of pride and selfish ambition. Because we see that further on in the text. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, and, and it says, just to help you understand the Greek a little bit, it, the, we bring the English sentence to say, but if you have. Understand that if is really a sense. It doesn't mean that, what is the chance you don't? But it's the case that the ones he was writing to, they definitely had the bitterness, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is an intense dislike for someone else's success. And selfish ambition is, okay, while I'm disliking what they're doing, I want to elevate myself, in some cases, by any means necessary. And so there's this sense of we want to be elevated. And he's talking to believers. That's what sometimes is hard for us to wrap our heads around because that is not being Christ-like. And so understand that um, as we move forward, the thought process is, is that we should only be comparing ourselves to Christ which keeps us humble. When we start comparing ourselves to others around us, now we're looking at it as a point to be able to elevate ourselves and to be able to make ourselves seem better and put us in the light of being better than anyone else. We're really exalting ourselves. And James is trying to get us to push away from that. And what it really does show is our lack of spiritual growth and lack of spiritual maturity. When we feel like we feel like we've arrived if we can compare ourselves to other people. And I and I, I would argue that most of us have done it because you know, there'll be times where we say, well at least, you know, when we, we may fall or we may do something that's not necessarily right, we can say, well at least I'm not like and you fill in the blank. Well at least I'm better than but that's not what our, our Lord and Savior wants us to do. He doesn't want us to uh, minimize our spiritual growth based on us being better than some other Christian we can point to that we believe is less than us. What James is saying here is stop comparing. Wisdom from God shows up in how you live your life. It shows up in the everyday character that you that you have 
when you interact with other people. That was a character is what you do when nobody else is watching, when nobody else is around. And so James is saying here, if you want to be wise, let you, let's show it by your good behavior. Show it by the deeds of gentleness of wisdom. Show it by the character of your life. Not necessarily one particular instance, but let everybody see, as Dr. King would say, the total bent of your life. That's where true wisdom is coming from. That's true wisdom. Because otherwise, that, that selfish ambition and bitter jealousy is going to start to well up inside of us. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But if I go down to verse 17 and 18, James is talking about what true wisdom is. He says, true wisdom is from the Holy Spirit. It leads to harmonious relationships. It means not insisting on your right in every situation. Yeah, there's some ways you can probably call some people and some things they do against you, but instead you give them grace. It means showing compassion to others and to those who offend you. It means not being judgmental. It means not causing division. It means seeking peace in all of your relationships. For those of you who might struggle with that, say, yeah, but, you know, the pastor, we, that line that we get that comes up after church to thank us and say, pastor, really good message, or to ask a question. There are some people who have, have a, this is the yeah, but line. And, and I'm just giving you some insights because, you know, yeah, but I heard what you said, pastor, but yeah, but you don't know about so-and-so. Let me tell you what they did to me. And the thought is, is that you're probably right. There's some things that they did to you. But what, what we're striving for is to become more and more like Christ, not to win the battle with fellow believers or people out in the world. Our goal is to be Christ-like. And if I remember correctly, my Lord and Savior hanging on the cross says what? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think there are instances in our lives where we have to be able to say that and forgive people in order to be more Christ-like and stop keeping score. So we understand what true wisdom is, and now we move into into chapter 4, and we're still focusing on relationships. And James points out that the believers and brothers and sisters in chapter 4 in the first part had a problem with pleasure. The problem is that there was stuff and that there's stuff inside of, what's stuff inside of them, and there's stuff inside of us that is not of God. And I'm going to mess my notes all up here, but I'm going to stop here and say it now that that's, that's one of the main reasons why God has us in relationship with one another, why he has that, that kind of cross going on with us where, yes, we have to be in relationship with him. That's why he puts the Holy Spirit inside of us so he's there to guide us and to direct us and to lead us. But at the same time, he's leading us into other relationships. Because there are times in our relationships with, with in my relationship with God, there's some things I would never dare say to, to the Holy Father in prayer or otherwise, but I definitely say it to some other people in my life. So the thought process is to think about how do you treat other people? Because God says it's just as important. 
And in many ways, it helps us to be able to see how much we're growing. And I don't know if the preachers before me talked about it, but we were talking, it was early in James, in the first part of James, it talked about those who wanted to teach. And so in many ways, when we think we're wise and we want to teach, we want to basically talk and say, hey, do what I say, but not what I do. And the harder part is what James is bringing out is it's, it is more about what we do, how we live our lives that really, really, truly matters. And that you're going to wind up going through this cycle of we're in a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, he also sends us to other people. Whether we're doing evangelism, whether we're talking about husband, wife, think of all the relationships that you have. You don't have to be, um, I'm going to make you all honorary members of Gateway Seminary today so I can give you a homework assignment. And that homework assignment is so that you, I want you to think about and analyze all of your relationships, good or bad, broken, whole, take them to your private prayer closet with the Lord and let him talk to you about those relationships. Because I would argue that there are probably some where it might be in this room where you need to go and, and ask for forgiveness. There may be some that want to and need to give you forgiveness. There may be some new relationships you need to start. There may be some, this section over here may not even spend any time talking to this section over here. Maybe there's some new relationships that you need to start and need to build for the sake of the kingdom. But understand that there's a pleasure problem that's inside of us that, that we fight with on a regular basis is that tension of wanting to be more than just friends with the world, you know, because it says friend in, in our text here, but it really means that there's a love for it. And that love was superseding our relationships that we have. And so believers were involved in quarrels and conflicts. A quarrel is a state of hostility a conflict is a battle without weapons. And so I'll give you a modern-day example on the news, on the financial news, you see this, this big uh, future battle is supposed to happen between uh, uh, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, right? They're supposed to have some type of cage battle fight, right? So they're battling over who's got this, the best social media platform, who's the richest, you know, who's the most popular. It's a, it's a conflict, but the source of the problem is really the pleasures that, that well up inside of us. Wanting more than anything else what the world has to offer. And what we as believers have to continually be reminded of, it is not bad to have good things. But when they have you, when you start to prioritize them over other things in your life that are more important of what God says, that's when we run into problems. In chapter 2, uh, in chapter 4, verse 2, it, it talks about lust. And, and the word lust is used here is, is a strong desire to obtain something. So you know, a lot of times in our, in our culture now, when we see lust, we automatically go to the sexual piece of it. But it's first and foremost here talking about a desire for something. And that could be education, it could be money, it could be fame, it, you fill in the blank. But it's saying that that's part of the challenges is that you value that over your relationship with other people to the point 
that your relationships are just a stepping stone for you to get what it is you think you want. Okay, I'm going to go say it. Here's something you have to watch as you look for your next pastor, is to make sure that the pastor doesn't use you as the church, as a congregation, to get something else. Whether it's fame, whether it is notoriety, whether it is just, it's, you're not pawns on a board. You are sinners saved by grace. You are believers. You are God's children. Right? A royal priesthood. And the expectation is that you will partner with your new leadership. You will come together as one to do a kingdom work, but you're not to be used. Amen? That's not in my notes. I'm just, I, I share as he tells me to. So the thought is, is that we have to understand that there's a war being waged that says waging war. And that's what's happening internally. In many ways, it winds up bubbling over in our relationships. You know, there, there's some of us who would love to use God, right? Our genie in the bottle, where, okay, God, I need fill in the blank, and we're going to rub the bottle, or we're going to say that prayer so God does what we want. But know that it's a whole lot easier for you to use other people than it is to use God, as much as we try. And so the thought is, is that the reason why James is going through all of this is so that we can once again take a pause, examine our relationships, and understand where, where might we be using people in our lives? Are we friends with somebody? Do we invite them over to our house just because of what it might look like of who we hang out with? Or what we might gain from having a relationship with a certain person? We have to be careful about the relationships that we have and what our motives are. Because what God is trying to get out of us is those motives inside of us that exist for the wrong reason. That exist to exalt us over and say, hey, look at how wonderful, how good I am over other people. He says, you, you, you do not, he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And if you look up in the Greek, it says evil motives there. You're asking because you, you, want, you want things so that you can look good or become better or look better or be perceived as better than other people around you. This was going on in the early church, and this is what James is writing about. The word adulteresses is used there, and it's basically translated unfaithful creatures. And don't think about it just being women because it says adulteresses. It was gender neutral because God is really ultimately opposed to the proud, right? It says, but he gives grace to the humble. But also, wonderfully, as we go down to verse 7 in chapter 4, James gives an answer to our predicament. Because while you guys are doing a wonderful poker face with me right now, because I can see all of your faces, the answer really is here in verse 7. It is submit to God. That's the answer for our pride problems is submitting to God. Here is where the cycle can be broken. 
or we can start to use the cycle in a positive way is that when we're in relationships and when you go and do your homework assignment and you go to talk to the Lord and you say, Lord, search me and search all of my relationships and find me where I'm not want, you know, where I'm wanting, where I need to improve. That's you submitting to God. And now you have an opportunity to go back out from his presence and be able to make some relationships right. That while God still has breath in your lungs and blood in your veins, you can go and improve the relationships around you. And once again, by doing that, our love for God is now practiced and lived out and it's clearly visible in how we love other people. How we treat people. The, just, just think of all the people that you run into contact with. When I work late at night, sometimes the, the, the janitorial staff is there, and I try to treat them with as much respect as I would the president that walks into my office sometimes unannounced. Well, are we taping this? <laughs> um, but we try to have that same compassion, the same love, regardless of their position, that we might see them in the world. And so when we go into our private prayer closet, some of us, we may have to, as the scripture says here, cleanse our hands, which means confess our sins, purify our hearts, which means to receive forgiveness, be miserable. I was like, wow, what is that? to lament over the harm you may have done to some others. Sometimes we're so quick to rush to receive forgiveness that we don't want to sit with and lament for a while what we've done. I've been married 30 some odd years and I have, I've had to learn that over the years. You know, when I've got to the point where I learned I have to admit I'm wrong, brothers, right? We gotta get to the point, right? We wanna sleep in the bed and we have to admit we, we, we were wrong. But there's sometimes I've learned I have to just be able to sit with it and not rush to forgiveness. I have to be able to sit with it. You know, and, and you, you've probably seen that on the news lately with the, the terrible wildfires in Lahaina. There was a rush, to, there's a talk about this rush to rebuild, but then they're talking to, to the residents who've lost, you know, so much, saying, wait a second, let, allow us, and they don't use the word lament, you know, that's, I'm inserting that, that biblical word, but the thought is they want some time to grieve properly before the rebuilding starts. And so for us that we have to, when we talk, when it says here about being miserable, that means if there's someone you've wronged and you go and ask for forgiveness, just be prepared to lament for a little while with them. Be prepared to sit with where they were to maybe allow them to share with you how, what you did or what you said how it made them feel, the emotional impact that was on them, or, or God forbid, if you cause someone trauma. And, and something else is we might want to make sure that we spend some time while we're in that private prayer closet asking God to forgive us first so we can forgive ourselves so that we can, it makes it easier for us to go out and be in relationship with others. And for those who are still struggling to... Um, want to exalt ourselves. It says here in, the, in the, the text, it says, verse 10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. 
And I've tried to live my life by, by not worrying about when God's going to do that. I'm just knowing that, okay, Lord, if there's going to be any exalting of Cliff Jenkins, it's not going to happen with me. It's your responsibility and your job. So it's just my responsibility to walk and serve and do what I'm supposed to do. If it happens, great. If it never happens, I'm fine with it because I know it's up to him. And I would much rather have him exalted than myself exalted. So we move others. We're we're circling the the penultimate lap here. We're coming to the close here. Verse uh, 11. Now, the most of these, well, up to this point, we've been talking about stop trying to exalt yourself, right? Stop trying to exalt yourself so that you're seen as better than everybody else because that's causing quarrels and conflicts among you. That's why you can't get along because there's stuff inside you that's spoiling your relationships with others. And so for those of us who, you know, want to try to get around stuff, here's what other people would do. Well, you know, I'm not trying to exalt myself, but what they do is, it says, do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges a brother or sister speaks against the law, and it goes on for that. But that speaking against is really speaking evil of. Speaking evil of someone else, and when it's judging them, it's condemning them. So the thought is is that you might not have the problem of exalting yourself, but you may also have the problem of tearing others down around you. That if I may be jealous of you, so the easiest way for me to do it is just kind of pull you down. Well, I'm standing over here. I'm going to pull you down. I'm going to say something bad about you. I'm going to speak evil against you, or I'm going to condemn what you say, ruin your reputation. So therefore, now you're seen as less than me. I don't have to do a thing. I didn't physically have to go and exalt myself. It just magically happened because, oops, somebody had a fall. And James is adding that in here for just for those of us who may not be over here exalting ourselves, but instead over here tearing other people down. And so, and, and I must also say this because in the church we struggle with this word judging an awful lot. Because there are times where I'm not going, I'm not supposed to judge. I'm not, well, if you're coming along somebody because of something that you see that's wrong in their life and you're in a good relationship with them, if you're coming to them to, to kind of bring them along and kind of say, hey, this is not right. What you're doing is not right. If, if you're going to them as Nathan, right? If you're going to them to talk to like he went to David, and say, hey, what you're doing is not right. That, that's what, I, what the, the, the fancy term for that is carefronting. It's not confronting, but you're carefronting them. You're coming to them in a loving way to try to talk to them about what they're doing wrong. Judgment in, in where James is talking about is condemning somebody to where you're saying it's over, there's no hope for you, you're done, you're gone. Understand the difference in the nuance there. We're supposed to come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them. That's one of the main, one of the wonderful reasons why we have the body of Christ together. That we're supposed to lament together, we're supposed to hurt together, we're supposed to rejoice together, we're supposed to just continue to love each other, and when one of us falls, we help him pick each other up, and we move forward. But as we go back to that Barner survey, that's, that's not being seen. That's why others say, look, I, I, I'm cool with Jesus, but his people, man, I don't know about them. 
They're some of the most divisive, judgmental, and you, you fill in all the bad, but just turn on anything, you'll see it. And we want to act like it's not true. And there's part of me that would say, well, you know what? I, I would rather have them love Jesus than love me anyway. But we are his representatives. He has us here on earth in the world to be salt and light. And we're not doing a very good job of being salt and light. If we're not building those relationships where people can say, I love Jesus and I love his people because they look so much like him. You ever think about that? That if they love Jesus, that means that what he, who he is and what he has to offer and how he lived his life and the things that are in this word, most people don't have a problem with. It is how we carry it out, how we live it amongst them that they struggle with. So understand as we go forward, um, Calvary, how are we going to move forward? Because your response to your message should not be walking out and saying, that's it, I'm not doing any more relationships, I'm done. That, I don't want that to be the response because that's not the right response. Yeah, I, see, I knew some of you were thinking that, right? So last page right here. Because here's what happens. If you do that, if you take that attitude, you know what, I'm done, I'm done, I'm getting to know nobody else, I'm not knocking on no more doors, I'm not, no, that's it. What happens is, is our, we're, we're going to slow down our sanctification process. Because as we are in relationship, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes. That's why I need you to forgive me. That's why I need you to correct me and forgive me. That, that's how we have to be able to work this relationship together. So many of us want to write each other off. That's it, you're done. you're done. I'm erasing you from my Facebook, from my social media, you're done. Well, we're, we're stuck with each other for eternity, literally, as fellow believers. So the, the, your response really needs to be, think about the relationships you have. Think about your need to forgive. Think about those that God has really placed on your heart that you need to go have a conversation with them. Improve the relationships in this body so that when the new pastor comes or whoever handles counseling here, there's no line at his door saying, Pastor, we've been waiting for you because we need to talk. You can settle it amongst yourselves. And, and the last thing I'll say is that um, your relationships with other people are, with, with other people are critical. It's not mutually exclusive. It's not like, okay, here's my relationship with God, here's my relationship with other people. No, they intersect. That people can usually tell how much you love God by how much you love the people he's put you in relationship with. Friends, enemies, neighbors, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, cousins, you name it. And I'm not telling you who you need to go talk to first. That's between you and the Lord. But sometimes we need to just stop and think, Lord, why have you put this person in my life. Why are they there? Because maybe the answer is God has allowed that person to be in your life because he's trying to grow you. He's trying to work on your sanctification. He's trying to help some stuff that's in you. Because you ever had that person, you just, you just, you don't like them, you just don't know why? 
They just, I'm mean, okay, we're well, in church, we're not supposed to say we don't like anybody, right? But it's just something about that person just rubs you the wrong way. You don't quite get it. But that means there's something inside of you that, that's not supposed to be there. That when we make the trip to heaven and we go to be with God, it can't come with us. And so the thought is, how about if we just get rid of it now so that we can walk more in freedom than in bondage? And so sometimes people are in our lives just to be able to get some of that stuff out of us that they kind of they just kind of, you know, people come and press on that little spot in you. God wants to just say, get rid of that. So it helps you to grow so that you can start to look more like Christ. Amen? Let us close in prayer. Our God and our Father, we love you. We love you because of who you are. We love you for what you've done in our lives and what you continue to do and what you promise you will do. But Lord, your people, we need your help. Because there's some stuff in us that's preventing us from loving them the way you want us to love them. And we need your help to just pull it out of us. Continue to shape us and mold us so that we can improve the relationships, Lord. We don't want to be known as as people loving you, but not also loving us, because we know that that means there's a problem. We're not looking like you. We're not living like you. There's some part of your word that's missing and is not evident in our lives so that we might make the impact that you want us to make for your glory. So, Lord, I just pray that you just help us with that. Start it today, Father. Don't let us sleep. Don't let us rest until we put down the the striving after the world and after the pleasure of this world and we're able to be able to be reconciled and be able to build true relationships with, with our brothers and sisters and all of the other people that you want us to build those relationships with. Help us with it, Father. Help us to be more like you. It's in your power and your authority. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.